today on Ag News Daily. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if after we finish this series and, and have recommendations on trade, that we wouldn't take uh, take this series and this, this concept and, and work on other ag issues that are important. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Another Ag News Daily podcast here, joined by your hosts, Delaney Howell, Ashton Carr, and Mike Pearson. Ashton, what are you working on today? How is it going? It's going really well. I've just been trying to set up some more interesting interviews for our listeners. And I had a lot of fun last night. I joined Brent Carlson again on the Dryline Farmer podcast to talk about cow farts in the Burger King ad. So it's been a lot Mm. of discussion about that good stuff. At this point, I think they should just make you a permanent co-host, Ashton. You've been on it quite a few times now. I know. I'm I'm surprised that Brent hasn't given me that title yet. I'll have to talk to him about that. <laughs> yeah, you better have a little talking to. Well, Mike, how are you doing? How is things going on in your part of the world? Fantastic. I tell you what, I had the chance to uh, travel back to Illinois yesterday. Had uh, pretty impressive rainfalls the entire way over. You know, a lot of the Corn Belt needed a drink, and now we've got it. I'm cruising on Interstate 80 right now, looking at a phenomenal corn crop from the from the road at uh, <clears throat> the speed limit, and a <laughs> phenomenal bean crop, you know, by all appearances, again, at highway speeds. I mean, boy, things are, things are looking pretty good, at least in this part of the Corn Belt, and apparently looking pretty good to China. We had more news out this morning. China bought 522,000 tons of soybeans, continuing their purchasing spree. Uh, I believe this is now the third week of solid Chinese purchases. Still got to wait and see what China ends up actually getting delivered, but uh, at least they're getting the orders in and uh, help driving uh, driving support for new crop demand. Wait, Mike, I know we're talking about news, but I want to go back to something. How, because we talked about this on the podcast earlier this week, obviously you're driving to tape this week in agribusiness today in Illinois, but how does that work now since Illinois has said, because of COVID, if you come to Illinois, you have to be quarantined for two weeks. So now I believe that's just the city of Chicago. Okay. Got it. And if I am mistaken, then I was not just in Illinois, listeners, and disregard what I just said. Uh, (laughs) But no, my understanding Mm -hmm. is the city of Chicago has put that rule into place, and I don't go into the city of Chicago. Okay, got it. That makes sense. Yeah, hopefully uh, you don't get in trouble for that. But if you do, I don't think we've got too many police officers that listen. Well, and, you know, I could have been lying. That's probably what happened. I was just making up stories, filling airtime, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. Anyhow, that's the news on the uh, soybean purchase front. We got other headlines moving in agriculture. Delaney, what are you keeping an eye on today? Yeah, so we've talked, or you've talked quite a bit about, uh, you know, pipelines shutting down. And so we saw an extension of that piece of news. We saw the, the Trump administration finalized a rollback to the National Environmental Policy Act, also known as NEPA. And so essentially, this will now allow for a speedier approval process for federal infrastructure projects, specifically those like pipelines, highways, and power plants. So this is just another one of those series of guidelines, 
rules, laws, whatever you want to call it, that the Trump administration has rolled back during the during his time in office, you know, such as WOTUS and some of those other ones here. But uh, this is a good one, especially I'm thinking for, you know, barge infrastructure, because I know a lot of our country's barge system is pretty out of date. And so this new approval process will allow things to just speed their way, hypothetically, through the bureaucratic system. Well, that would be an improvement if they do actually use it to make some changes, some upgrades to the locks on the river system throughout the country. I think that mm-hmm. would be much appreciated by folks in agriculture. Well, it's crazy, too. I just I just saw this other little piece as well. Um, this is the first time that they've addressed or changed this rule in over 40 years. So it's kind of been a very slow process up until this point. So I'm actually very shocked that it's getting uh, reworked. Yeah, well, after 40 years, it was probably due for a facelift. So this was probably, uh, it probably uh, was, a good yes. time to take a look. Yes. Ashton, what headlines are you keeping an eye on today? Well, we have talked plenty about consumer buying has changed during the pandemic. And a survey has now shown that increasing importance of sustainability efforts during COVID-19 is something that consumers are keeping an eye out on. A recent global survey conducted by the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol shows that 54% of sustainability leaders at apparel and textile brands say they've seen customer demand for environmentally sustainable practices and products increase since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. However, 59% said they believe customers will continue to prioritize price when making purchases. And this article is very interesting. I'm really interested in reading more about this survey, but I won't bore you guys with all of the numbers. But I think that sustainability is definitely going to continue to be an important buying factor post-pandemic. Yeah, 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 I think you're probably right. And that's really just a continuation of a trend we've been seeing as folks look towards sustainability and other metrics. And maybe this is just bringing it into a greater focus. Yeah, I, I hope so. And and the article also goes on to say that consumers are still a little bit worried with prices of products being that so many people have been laid off or unemployed because of the pandemic. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how customer buying continues to fluctuate post-pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And one of those markets actually that to segue off here, Ashton, one of those markets that's expected to continue to change and adapt is the Brazilian pork and chicken markets, specifically their export markets. They are projected to increase here in 2020 as local meat producers have continued to operate during this COVID-19 pandemic and pork exports are expected to grow by as much as 33% this year, likely caused by demand from China that continues to be strong for the Brazilian pork and chicken industry, as well as just, you know, folks having supply chain issues during COVID-19. So Brazil in particular is expected to see rapid growth again this year when it comes to those two markets. You know, it's interesting, Delaney, I've got a story that kind of builds off that directly. This is coming from the UN uh, Food and Agriculture Organization, the FAO, and um, they do a 10-year, excuse me, every year, 
they do a 10-year look ahead. So they prepare this annual report where they look 10 years into the future. And this is the first time they've done it with coronavirus being in the cards. And the authors of the report are concerned that as we get through this, we've made it through the initial shock, right? The outbreak of coronavirus, the fear and the uncertainty that came into the markets. We saw, I mean, now it looks like we're on the backside of that. We've got things pretty well figured out. They, they accept that in the report. But their concern is that as COVID continues to spread, particularly as it hits developing countries that can't respond in the way that, you know, North America and Europe and, and even parts of Asia have, it's going to be devastating. And so this report actually looks ahead to a world where we have secondary market shocks as large consuming countries that tend to be poorer, consuming a lot of of bread-based products, consuming a lot of uh, vegetable oil-based products. As death tolls rise in those countries, we could see secondary market shocks throughout the entire food system. And, um, you know, I, I read that and it was depressing, but I think it's good to know that, or a good reminder, that we're not out of the woods yet. Even if we get this thing licked in, in the U.S., in cases and deaths trending back to the downside, there's still a whole other world out there that eats American and European and Canadian ag products that might not be faring near as well. So is it secondary shock just because we could have another big wave of deaths, meaning lack of workers or shortage of labor? Uh, well, I think reading the report uh, briefly, as I did, they're more concerned about consumers. Mm. So we could see a secondary shock shock if, you know, there are large amounts of dead people in the developing world. They're not buying stuff anymore. And increasingly, that could lead to a recession. So then even if, you know, death tolls don't get too high, but people are laid off from work, their jobs don't come back, all of a sudden they got less money to spend, that's also going to impact their eating decisions and uh, the type of mix we produce in agriculture. And we could see stockpiles in one area and shortages shortages in another and uh, have all sorts of pricing shocks that come into play the next year or 18 months. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. Yeah. Something to keep an eye on. For sure it is. But Ashton, what else are you keeping an eye on for today? Well, I've got some not so great news once again coming from the ethanol industry. Omaha-based ethanol producer Green Plains is suing Archer Daniels Midland over alleged ethanol market manipulation. And Green Plains has accused ADM of manipulating the price of ethanol to profit from its positions in the derivatives market. And this lawsuit seeks unspecified damages. And a similar lawsuit has been filed against ADM by a Swiss commodities trader in September 2019. And that case is still currently ongoing. So I think we're going to have to definitely keep an eye on this case and what it means for ADM as well as Green Plains. Mm. All right. Yes, indeed. I've got one other agribusiness story, and this is Cargill. They reported their revenue for 2020 and for fiscal 2020. Their fiscal year has ended, and they actually saw a 1% increase in total revenue um, throughout the year, which I think is somewhat surprising. I, I don't think we're going to see too many other places see rising revenue. Now, we don't know what their profits looked like in 2020. You know, I'm sure they had some increased costs along the way. But uh, seeing revenue climb, yeah, 
don't know if we can really read too much into it. I guess it's one percent over the year, but you know. Okay. Yeah, I guess yeah. I guess I don't know. I I, okay. I, I, I don't want to. The, I, my brain keeps trying to make a broad statement about what this means for the ag industry. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anything. What it means is that Cargill generated a little more revenue, probably indicative of the fact that ag businesses were hurt during the pandemic, but it wasn't catastrophic from a revenue perspective. The question is going to be profit, and we don't know. That's the that's the update right. there from Cargill. Okay, we don't know. You know, everything's a mystery. Everything's a mystery, except for where the commodity markets closed on the day. Mike, why don't you uh, take us into those for today? You betcha. Take a look at the markets. We had corn and beans climb today. Wheat sold off fairly steeply, and the meat markets were higher on the day. Starting with corn, September contract up three cents at three thirty and a quarter. December up three and a half to finish at three thirty-seven and a half. Soybeans, August old crop up six and three quarter cents to close at eight ninety-three even. November up seven and three quarters, finished the day at eight ninety and a half. Chicago wheat sold off the September down 15 cents at 535 and three quarters. December down 13 to finish the day at 540 and three quarters. Looking at livestock, we had strength in live and feeder cattle today and hogs. Actually, everybody was uh, seeing some strength. August live cattle up $1.9750 to close at 103.2750. October up $2 and a nickel finishing at 106.60. In feeder cattle, the August contract was up $3.17.5 at 142.60. September, up 3.20 to close the day at 142.75. And in lean hogs, closed just off limit. In that front month, August, it was up $3.50 to close at 53.65. October, up 2.40, finishing at 51.82 and a half. Looking over at the dairy market, saw that sell-off yesterday in the deferred months. We did claw some of that back today. July down eight cents at twenty-four twenty-three. August, however, up thirty-three cents, closing at twenty-two sixty-seven. Without further ado, let's kick it over to a conversation about our global buyers of agricultural goods with farmers from Free Trade. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. You have not lived long enough if you never encountered a gasoline engine that does not want to run. This predicament requires the need to check for spark at a plug. Simple, right? Pull off the plug wire, hold it near ground, and crank the engine. Well, that is about as accurate as pushing on the sidewall of a tire to check for air pressure. To properly check an ignition system, you need a spark tester. It is a simple tool that resembles a spark plug, has an alligator gator clip attached for easy grounding, but the center electrode is deeply recessed into the porcelain insulator. The depth of the electrode loads the ignition coil to duplicate the plug arcing under compression in the cylinder. A weak coil will arc the plug in atmosphere, but not under compression. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit farmmachinerydigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles. Today on the podcast, we have co-executive director of Farmers for Free Trade, Brian Keel. Did I say that right, Brian? You got it exactly right. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on and talk to us about the Ag Talks series. Uh, happy to do it. Happy to do it. It's great to be on and, uh, and uh, it's an exciting topic. So very timely. So, Brian, I think before we start discussing Ag Talks and what you guys are building for in the future, I'd like to just get your thoughts, broadly speaking, on free trade. Over the course of this administration, we have seen uh, you know, trade deals torn up and rewritten, some not rewritten. We've seen a lot of what farmers have relied on in export markets uh, come into question. And as we sit here now in 2020, What's your overall take from a free trade perspective in the world today? Are we getting better? Are we getting worse? Or are we about the same? Well, that that is a big question. Um, you know, I think I think there can be no no doubt that the last three years have been really hard on American agriculture. Um, you know, we started with uh, with uh, the U.S. withdrawal from the trade uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership. That was a uh, trade deal that would have uh, brought together 12 uh, Pacific Rim nations, not including China. So it was kind of a counterweight to China. The American Farm Bureau estimated that that trade deal would put $4 billion into farm revenues in the United States. So one of the first things that happened was we withdrew from that. And the, the idea was, you know, President Trump said he thought he could get better deals by negotiating one-on-one with countries. Um, rather than doing sort of big multilateral trade deals. That may or may not be true. Uh, you know, what, what the Trump administration has done, they've negotiated a phase one deal with Japan, which was one of the TPP countries. Um, that, that has some good things in it, uh, arguably not a lot more than we would have gotten with TPP. But the Trump administration says, well, that's just a phase one and, you know, phase two will be better. So the jury's out in some respects. Same thing with China. You know, we had we were exporting over $20 billion a year in U.S. food and ag exports to China. Uh, the Trump administration has blown that up by spreading the trade war and tariffs and retaliatory tariffs. The promise is that it will get better. Uh, the jury's still out. So, you know, reasonable minds can disagree as to whether this was the right strategy or not. But, but what we do know is over the last number of years, it's definitely been hard. We've dropped exports from 20 billion down to about nine and a half billion. So we've we've lost about 10 billion dollars in exports because of that trade war. Yeah, it has certainly been, uh, I think, frustrating from the perspective of of a country that overproduces agricultural goods. We just always run a surplus, but you know we got to have a place to send it. Brian, with that being said, you're farmers for free trade. You're working to get the message out there. How are you doing that in 2020? Well, we're doing a number of things. So hopefully hopefully your, your listeners know about Farmers for Free Trade, but I'll give you a quick rundown. Uh, Farmers for Free Trade, we're a bipartisan nonprofit. You can find us online at farmersforfreetrade.com. Uh, and we're supported by a broad coalition of American agriculture, both businesses and associations, from national corn growers and national wheat growers to national milk producers and again, to individual companies that support farmers for free trade in our mission. Um, and we've worked over the last three years really to try to bolster support for trade that benefits agriculture. Because like you said, we are export dependent. Uh, we, there are a lot more mouths outside the United States than there are inside the United States. And if we were to say we're 
just going to sell to to America, you know, our farms would shrivel up and dry away. I mean, or blow away. We need to uh, we need to we need to export. That's what drives the farm economy. So farmers for free trade is at every turn looking for ways to boost that. And we've supported the, you know, President Trump's U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. We did a big roadshow last year called the uh, called the uh, uh, the Motorcade for Trade. We went through 30 states, 40,000 miles in an RV, supporting trade, and held over 100 events. And really, I think helped push uh, Speaker Pelosi and the Democrats to support that trade deal. And, and we consider that a very big win for our efforts. Now we're focusing forward for 2020. We've just launched a new series called Ag Talks. Happy to get into details about it, but it's really sort of the next stage. It's like, how do we, how do we get American agriculture out of the ditch and back up on the road? And how do we, how do we make sure American agriculture doesn't lose its, its place as, as the leader in global agricultural production? Yeah, and I want to dive into that a little bit more, Brian, because looking at your website focused on Ag Talks, you obviously had to change the format as opposed to driving around in your RV this year with COVID. <laughs> that makes it very difficult, obviously. Um, so you're doing a, a series of virtual town hall events. So I'm eager to hear more about those events and how farmers can get involved. How do you make it a local town hall event when it's virtual? Well, that's a great question. And, and you're absolutely right. We had to change the format. We, we've been laughing that, you know, a year ago, we would have been pulling into the Minnesota Farm Fest with our with our uh, RV and people would have been signing banners and we would have been at the pancake breakfast. Well, we can't do that this year. You know, Minnesota Farm Fest has been canceled. Uh, they're going virtual. And in fact, Minnesota Farm Fest is going to partner with us on the Minnesota Roundtable. So we're, we're at every turn looking for great opportunities to partner. Um, what we're what we're finding is these we're going to do a series of virtual town halls. These are going to be state focused. So we'll start with Iowa, then Minnesota, then Michigan, then Pennsylvania, and finally Wisconsin. And we may add an, uh, additional town halls as we go. Those town halls will really focus on agriculture in those states. So they'll they'll feature ag leaders from those states. They'll be hosted by ag organizations and businesses in those states. And they'll talk about trade and supply chain issues that are important to those states. So each town hall will have its own flavor. Uh, Iowa, for example, obviously is going to focus heavily on corn, soybeans, ethanol as primary topics. When we get up to Michigan, you know, there'll be more specialty crop discussion, cherries and apples and other commodities that really, you know, you wouldn't see in Iowa, but, but are important to Michigan trade. So they'll each have a flavor of the state that we're focusing on. Sort of how does the format work that it's all virtual? So are folks going to be raising issues they'd like to see addressed in future trade discussions? Are we just talking about the current state of play in the, uh, the global trade situation? What, what are the roundtables going to be covering? So, so these are very much forward looking. The goal is to, to develop a, you know, this is a national dialogue. The goal is to have a uh, final report in October. It'll be a set of policy prescriptions and recommendations for whoever's in the White House in, in 2021 and whoever controls Congress. So this is bipartisan. It's not about President Trump or President Biden or Vice President Biden. It's it's really about agriculture and what we need to see for trade. Um, we'll run these town halls. Uh, I think it's a really neat format. We're going to have a panel discussion 
that will be moderated. So there'll be uh, you know leaders from different ag industries and commodities and businesses who will talk about trade and what they want to see in the coming years for trade, whether that's market expansion or changes to phytosanitary standards, et cetera. And then we'll have a really robust audience participation component. So these aren't just webinars where you sit and listen. There'll be an opportunity to ask questions of the panelists, and the panelists will discuss the questions that are asked. There'll also be an opportunity for people to participate in online polling on key questions about trade. So we'll, we'll run polls during the town halls, and that's another way that the audience can stay engaged and, and not just listen passively. So this interactive format of Ag Talks is, is pretty catered to the new normal during the COVID-19 pandemic. And now looking at the light of the end of the tunnel, where do you see Ag Talks going past the pandemic and what, what the future holds for these town hall series? Boy, that's, that's a really great question. Um, you know, we've held open the possibility that before this series is done, COVID would turn the corner and we'd have the opportunity to do some in-person events or at least have panelists together in person. I'm getting less less, uh, optimistic that that will be the case. This series will run into September and boy, it just seems at this point like the news has not been good in terms of the arc of COVID. Now, having said that, this Ag Talk series, we've started with the focus on trade supply chains and the future of American agriculture. But this is really taking on such a head of steam. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if after we finish this series and, and have recommendations on trade, that we wouldn't take uh, take this series and this, this concept and, and work on other ag issues that are important. Uh, it seems like a really great way to engage the ag community writ large and, and really make sure our voice is being heard. Brian, before we let you go, we've talked about the Ag Talk virtual events, but share with our listeners again one more time how they can get involved, how can they find a schedule or just be part of that conversation? Sure. So really easy. Uh, for uh, for the Ag Talks series, you can find information online at agtalks.net. So A-G-T-A-L-K-S dot net. Um, you can also register. You can register on those website on that website for any of the events. We have the first three events. Registration is open. Registration's free, so it's super easy to register, and we'll send you a link where you can you can access the uh, the town hall. Uh, we're also making it easy. People can can uh, register via text. So if you want to register for the Iowa town hall, as an example, you text Ag Talks, all one word space Iowa to 52886. So if you text Ag Talks Iowa to 52886, you'll get a registration link. You can do the same with Minnesota and Michigan. So you could text Ag Talks space Michigan or Ag Talks space Minnesota, and that will bring you to a registration link. You text that phrase to 52886 and you can register from your phone. It takes literally 30 seconds. Fantastic. Well, I sure anticipate that some of our listeners will join in for that. It's very exciting that you guys are able to adapt and change during COVID-19. But Brian, thank you so much for joining today. Oh, well, thanks for all you do and for helping guide these kind of conversations. They're so critical to, to our industry. So thanks a lot. Well, it's certainly interesting to see how everyone and all kinds of industries are 
really adjusting to COVID-19 and it's no different for farmers for free trade. So I am definitely going to have to keep an eye out on these town hall series and get a little bit more educated myself on these topics. Yeah, uh, free trade, huge discussion for agriculture. As Brian mentioned, if we don't ship stuff, we just stockpile it and prices collapse. So let's keep our markets open around the world. And if you, listener, want insights into what is happening in agriculture, both domestically and globally, catch up on our past episodes. Visit our website at agnewsdaily.com and always interact with us on social media. Just search uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for Ag News Daily and we'll appear. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.